Job uh, is a, a wonderful book in the Bible, but in order for Job to have existed and for that to be in the Bible, somebody had to face a near death. Someone had to face a challenging situation as it relates to, um, as it relates to losing everything. As it relates to taking that which ordinarily you would take for granted and say, that could never happen to me, whatever it was, it happened to Job. Anything that could happen that was bad materially, family-wise, it happened to Job. Was it Job's fault? The answer is we know, no. Well, then what was the purpose of all that pain that Job went through, including physical pain? It was simply because that God chose him to be an example to us. And so let me show you what one man did and how he came through his trial and his test. Running out of gas and being on the side of the road is not the kind of test that Job faced. Getting word that his family had been slaughtered was a test. Who do you get angry at when that kind of a thing happens when you know, hey, I'm trying to be innocent? We know that God is sovereign. In other words, he's not insecure. He's not moved by circumstances or situation. He is the highest power known to man and the universe. He stands alone, independent of himself. He's omniscient. He is self-sustained and ruled. He is God. The highest name by which authority is given is through the name of Jesus and God the Father. When Satan lost his grace because he misbehaved and became a fallen angel, he did not keep his beauty. Pride filled up his life and the only way that it could have been dealt with by God was the way that he did deal with it. You lose all privileges. You lose status. The Scripture declares he was the most beautiful and probably one of the wisest, but he took upon himself to disobey the sovereign God. He became a lowly snake crawling on his belly. And the Scripture says that God created all things, meaning as a sovereign God, that everything in heaven and earth, known and not known to man, is subject to God. Now, if you remember in your heart of hearts and say, what is it that could happen to me that might catch God by surprise? Nothing. What is it that could happen to me that might create a circumstance to where I feel like I'm on shaky ground? Nothing. Because with God, that is the majority. Amen? With God, He knows your past, He knows your today, and He knows your tomorrow. And if you're going to invest your life if you're going to trust anything or anyone, I recommend that you trust Almighty God. 
You can trust him with your life. Nothing moves his knowledge. We understand that. And through Jesus Christ, Jesus died, came forth out of the grave. On the third day, Satan seemed to have control for that temporary period of three days in which he celebrated, finally, I have captured the power that treated me unfairly and booted me out of heaven. Finally, I have the key. He did not have the key. He assumed that he did. And God through Jesus, and Jesus with God together, came out of the tomb on the third day and at that point defeated every power that was antichrist, every demon, every imp, every authority now became subjective to God. Everything, everything, whatever it is that you tonight that's under, under just in your side, whatever it is that's between your ears, whatever it is that's the burr underneath your saddle, so to speak, God is able with you to deal with that in an appropriate way. And it is not God's desire for you to feel alone or forsaken at any time. Because why? God is in control. God is in control. There is one thing that still exists after all that. It is a little three-letter word. It's called sin. Sin. Sin is the manifestation of disobedience. Sin is that tool that does not exist unless a person, an individual, gives the enemy the opportunity to use them to be disobedient to God. At that moment, sin is created. God has given us power, however, over sin. Say amen. He's given us power, but we still wrestle, according to Scripture, in the Spirit of God through the flesh of our body. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness, those kinds of influences of the enemy. But we still have the ability to conquer and be victorious. And we do not have to sin. We don't have to. It is a not God's will and plan said, okay, uh, you, you're going to sin. I want you to sin 10 times today. God says, I want you to be holy. I want you to be set apart. How do you keep that kind of stamina? He already gives it to us. You pray. You read his word. You're diligent in your faithfulness. You do everything that you can to say, Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You always go to Almighty God. But here's what we know. Satan will tempt us. And I want you to know that's a good thing. Well, how in the world could you say, Pastor, that's a good thing to be tempted? Because as long as you're tempted, you know that he still hasn't been able to win with you. But you have the ability to overcome, for there is no temptation known unto man 
but what God cannot give you the power to resist that temptation. Turn to your neighbor and say, resist temptation. Resist it. You resist it. Thoughts that are there, resist it. Lies of the enemy, learn to be a discerner of the truth and learn to be a discerner of that which tempts you to take a path that leads you to discouragement, depression, and death itself. We can be an overcomer. We know that sometimes the enemy's desire all the time is to weaken our faith. If he can weaken our faith, he can do it, of course, through the vulnerability of our physical being, our physical body. Wow, can you imagine scraping the sores off your flesh? And they hurt and painful in the nervous system of Job. That'd be temptation enough to curse God and want to die because you feel like dying. The emotional system to where you cannot get a norm between your ears that constantly your emotions are like a merry-go-round or a slide up and down and you say through all of this I cannot have peace or your intellect and your mind toying with your mind. All of those things are temptations of the enemy and when that happens we often fall into the arena that we ask why or why me? Especially if we have been faithful in serving the Lord. Let me tell you flat out, there is nothing that's ever happened to you but what it was not permitted by God. Let me say it again, but what it was not permitted. I did not say God caused it. In Job's case, he did. In Job's case, he gave the enemy permission to go after Job. The confidence that God had in Job is unparalleled than any other place in Scripture. God trusted Job and his faith. Now, just kind of pack this away in the process of the way you think. If we believe that God may permit those things that happen to us, ask yourself why, and then ask yourself this question, do you believe that when God allows and permits something to happen to you, it's because God is angry with you, or it's because God is giving you an opportunity to be tested? And God never allows a test to come your way without which he knows within you is the ability and the power to be more than an overcomer. So when you look at your testing differently and say, God could have not let this happen. God could have stood in the way of this happening. God could have prevented this. God could have not let this ever come on the radar of my life, but he did. Why? We know the answer. Because God loves you enough, trusts you enough, that he's interested in building your faith and building your spiritual character and building your spiritual resistance. So if you look and you decide, wow, how you look at circumstances, 
and how you deal with issues, it will help you get to the finish line victoriously more quickly. What happens, I wonder why, when we're faithful. I remind you that there are two factors that determine who you are, soul and spirit, and then body and flesh. This carnal body is body and flesh, but the spirit man in you is soul and spirit. And don't you know, they war all the time. Your spirit man wars against your fleshly man every single day over and over and over. But who has authority over your flesh man? It is your spirit man. But if you behave and give oxygen to the flesh man, he will in fact create angst in the spirit man, and that's where the great tussle really gets heated most of the time in our lives. Satan, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Satan lost his grip on your spirit because you now belong to God, but he still wrestles you in your flesh. Anger is not a bad thing. Be angry and what? Sin not. But it's when we say we are angry and we sin as a result of that anger. So we understand that. Sex is not a bad thing. used in the proper covering, ordained by the Bible. But when it's not used in the covering of the Bible, it becomes what? A bad thing. I can't believe you use that word in church. The reality is anger, sex, lust, influence. God gives you influence not for your own worthiness to build your own kingdom, but he gives you influence that you might build his kingdom, the influence of those that are lost. And when you accepted Jesus, Satan lost his grip. Romans 6 verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves what? dead. Count yourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive in God, or alive to God through and in Christ Jesus. So there you have it. Case solved. I am dead to sin, and I'm alive in God. So test, when you come my way, I am dead to sin, I am dead to temptation, am I, and I'm alive in God. Okay, here's a question. Is that how you behave 100% of the time? The answer is no. If you weren't sure, the answer is no. Now the answer is no. 
It's no. Here's the point that wherever and whatever it is that is creating havoc for you, here's what the Bible says, that God will never allow anything to be aggravating to you, that come upon you, that weights you down. He will not let any magnitude of anything come against you, but what he already knows you are able to handle whatever it is. You're able to handle it. You're able to resist it. You're able to lift up. And move forward, the internal part of who you are. He may attack everything else, but here's what I know. The devil cannot destroy you. He says to Peter in Luke 22, 31 and 32, Satan desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Let your brothers know what happened and how you came through it because I prayed for you and lifted you up. What was it that was valuable? It was Peter's faith. And God speaks to our hearts. Here's number one. Test prove God in you. Say that with me. Test prove God in you. Job 1 verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? That's a question. Satan replied. We know the story of Job, a godly man, wealthy man, wonderful family, worldwide influence, walked with God every day, and God held him up to Satan as a testimony of God's grace, mercy, and love. If you're looking for somebody, you've been out there just stalling around and going from one place to another, here's somebody I'll hold up to you. Here it is. His name is Job. And Satan says, hey, Job has no reason not to love you because you've not wrung him out like a dish rag trying to get rid of the moisture. Job has had blessing after blessing, favor after favor, good after good. But do you know why he's been getting good after good, favor after favor? Because he's been faithful to me. But Satan, since you believe that he, is, that he has that favor and that's the only reason that he honors me, then here he is. I'll serve him up to you. Whatever it is you want to do to him, just do not take his life. You cannot take his life. Everything else is on the table. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all have that kind of confidence in ourselves to say, God, do that to me. I don't know of a living person alive that would say, God, do that to me. Hold me up to the devil and say, if you're looking for somebody to go after Satan, go after this person. They will stand the test of time. We'd say, well, I'd, I'd like to know that I could. I'd like to believe that I could walk through it. 
but we don't have that assurance. What gives us that assurance? It is the testing of our faith that comes with us. And test, if you notice this, test grow in strength and size and often in torment and havoc. You pass one, you pass another. Some of you have lived for God long enough, you can look back and remember a lot of tests in your life, a lot of issues, a lot of times that you failed, a lot of times God privileged you with the test, and you move right on through. And today, here you are. Boy, I've come this far by faith. Amen? I've come this far by faith. What's God doing? He's preparing you to say, I need people for the enemy and his influences and demons to be able to know that these people know what it means to stay true to God no matter what the test is. The story of Job, he hated evil and he loved God. No other reason. We know that he's never been tried, Satan said, never been tested. Satan asked, does Job fear God for nothing because you have put a hedge around him? We have that same hedge. It is the hedge of the Holy Spirit that protects us and guides us. But here's what we know. Peter had that same hedge. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, be careful because Satan is snipping at your heels, but he cannot touch you because I have prayed for you and I've held you out of his reach, but he desires to destroy you. He desires to find the combination that gets where you are. So here's a few good questions that we might want to entertain for a moment. What good is faith if it can't be tested? How do you know the degree of your faith if you don't test it? And how will faith grow if it's not exposed to opposition? And then isn't it true that if something is not growing, it's dying? And then what is it that Satan can't destroy? It's our faith. And what determines the measure of lifelong success? It is the size of our faith. And Luke 14, 27, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we become vessels for God to develop faith in. Faith in. You have control over every circumstance in your life if you choose to take that control in Jesus' name. It's no mistake that he said to you, I rebuke you, devil, say it. It's no mistake that he says, Satan, get behind me in the name of Jesus. It's no mistake that he says you are more than conquerors. It's no mistake that he says you're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. How sure is your testimony? God develops faith in our life we know is not our own because we're carrying the cross. Our will is the will of the Father. We, like Job, become an instrument for God to hold up to the devil and say, test them. Their love is because of who I am, not because of what I do for them. Test prove God in you and respond carefully. When the test comes, respond carefully and bury it and bury it and bury it and bury it until your mind declares it is buried once, now, and forever ever. Number two, your response, this is a good Sunday morning message. 
hope all of you online are listening carefully. Your response is critically important. I admit, I shall confess, I have not passed every test. Hello? Every test. Stumbled, fallen, all of it. All of it. But here's the beauty. Because you fail one test does not make you a failure. Because you stumble does not make you worthless. It's important to understand that human nature will create a, 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 a spirit in you that says, I've blown it and there is never hope. As long as Jesus is alive, there is hope. And the last time I checked, he is eternally lasting forever. Amen? Eternally. How you respond, Job 121, and said, naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I'll depart. I like that. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Very few people have ever faced that test with or without foreknowledge to respond positively in the very initial stage. What I mean by that, my fleshly, carnal, emotional nature does not respond usually on the spur of the moment in the right way. When you get the news, your family's gone. It is normal to fall apart. I would not dare coach you and teach you in Scripture that God would get mad at you because you fell apart on the spur of a dime when you got news of difficulty. You've got stage four cancer, and there is no hope for you. Prepare your will and get your funeral arrangements in order. How do you think that hits any ordinary person? Hello? Pretty hard. So let's give that up and say, okay, that shook me to the core. That shook me and just shook me like a rag doll. So we know that we respond with surprise, shock, and fear. We surprise with uncertainty, anxiety, apprehension. And your spirit, your spirit will run to the rock of your salvation. Your flesh man will respond as the flesh man does. But your spirit man, if that spirit man has been tested before, knows what to do. That spirit man in you will run for hope and consolation, will call on strength and courage and run to the rock of our salvation and say, God, I don't understand it. I am falling apart, but I know that you love me and your hand is upon me. You are going to have to help me because without you, I will not make it. Holy Spirit of God, come down upon me and give me the confidence that I need to push through. That's what we do, but there is a valley and there is a time period between the shock 
and initiating the run to the altar. I call it the place of suspension. You're suspended almost between two points. You're suspended between two points, and I've seen it, and there are only two things that are going to happen. I've seen people in that moment suspended between two places that they choose the fact that they become angry at God, they curse God, they rant and they reign, they don't want anyone, and they take the side of the flesh and run with it no matter what you say to them. I have been there and witnessed that over. And the more you coach them toward God, don't even talk to me. Or you're going to say, my help is in the Lord. And i got to get over there. And I've got to just get in the presence of the Lord. I need your help, Lord. Job 1.20 at this, the Bible says God, or Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. That was the physical and the emotional response. And after that, tearing his robe, shaving his head, that was the physical response. Then, it's a big word, he fell to the ground and worshiped. Fell to the ground and he worshiped. The word worship means he humbled himself in the presence of God Almighty. You can have a personal revival in the midst of hell. Amen? Because the greater power is not the influence of hell. It is the influence of the Holy Ghost and the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not afraid of the imps of the devil. He is all-powerful. Satan has already been defeated. He has already been conquered. And God himself has the keys. So how does he respond? How does he respond when he falls down to worship? He places things in proper perspective. How many of you are married? How many of you are happily married? For those who didn't raise your hand that time, we'll meet you here in the altar. (laughs) But let me say, listen carefully. If you're not happily married, thank God there is a path that can get you back to happiness. Amen? There is a path. Putting things in proper perspective when you first got married. You didn't have much. You probably didn't have a 3,000 square foot home. You probably had an apartment that had a front door and it might have a back door. There were not three and a half bedrooms, not a huge kitchen. You didn't have more money coming in the door than than you could spend. It was a meager beginning. I remember in reasonable terms what our first grocery bill was, and we weren't even married yet. 
getting ready. I thought, good, Lord, have mercy. Occasionally, Sharon and I drive by on Havendale Boulevard in Winter Haven, the little one-and-a-quarter bedroom apartment. One-and-a-quarter or one-and-a-half. That was it. You walked in the front door. That was the living room and the kitchen and the dining room. Wasn't much bigger than that. It wasn't like, oh, it doesn't have two sinks in the bathroom. We were grateful to have one sink, just one. And then the half a bedroom. What is the point? When you reposition, if you ever begin to murmur about what you have, reposition your thinking and go back to what you had when you started. And then you say, hey, I had wealth, houses, land, families, sons, daughters. And then Job puts it in perspective. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. I came with nothing. I was not responsible for my own existence. I had no knowledge or understanding of my beginning. Therefore, naked I will depart the Lord hath given and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Satan, are you listening to me? I came in this world with nothing and I will depart with nothing. So there's nothing from nothing leaves nothing, but I do have something that you would love to have of mine and it is my faith, hallelujah. So I just let you know my perspective of this. I'm not looking for a way out. I'm just looking for a person who loves me with an attitude like that to be possessed. What did Satan want Job to do? Curse God and die. His wife texts that to him. <laughs> what Satan desires is for us in that suspended area is to dwell in that valley before we make a decision to move one way or the other. And let me say, until you make the decision to move one way or the other, the line that you're hanging on will continue to drop. We understand staying in that valley and crying why and reasoning and pity will only create a greater hold of the lies of the enemy in your mind, head, and heart that will create a circumstance that will make it more difficult for you to let God bring deliverance. It's that suspension and that valley. Here's what is necessary if you believe God is sovereign, then act like God is sovereign. And if you choose to exercise your faith, then, hey, I came into this world with nothing, and I'm going out with nothing. Every time a challenge comes your way, remember that it is an expression of God's trust 
in your faith. Whatever it is, it's God's trust in your faith. He believes you can overcome. And your response will determine the strength of your faith. Faith. So Jesus took the curse of sin away. Paul writes in Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written. And then if we are redeemed, then the curse is gone, and no man has the power to place a curse on you. If you are disobedient without repentance, here's the path. You will reap what you sow. If you fail and you do not repent, you will reap what you sow. That is a law of the Spirit and not a curse. It's what God says will happen. And our positive response will create a celebration of praise in heaven and havoc in hell. God desires to deliver you from wherever you're at if it's not an arena filled with hope for tomorrow. For there is nothing in your life presently or in the future that can take you down because you're in the hand of Almighty God. As people of God, we must face the wind and prove God's power in our lives. Romans 8, 35, now the message becomes extremely clear with God on our side like this. How can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son? Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? And who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Hallelujah. By the grace of God. Finally, you are not the person you once were. Turn to your neighbor and say that. You're not the person you once were. Job 42, 12, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. I see my daughter Lori and Wayne back there. Her testimony, she went to share it in a church a number of months ago, maybe a year ago over in the Apopka area. And all the torment that she went through and that, that death experience that she had is so real to her. So real to her. The moans and the cries and all that she experienced. She said one time, Mom or Dad, how much more? How much more is there to take? You know, how much, how much more can I deal with and continue to be resilient in a passel of challenges that hit? Unbelievable. But right back there one night, I believe on a Sunday night, Bill Meadows decided to be displaced from his throne right over there. And he was in the back. You remember that? That's right. 
Now, he's here five days a week. In the morning, 6 o'clock, walking around here with several of his brothers, praying. The pew your own has been prayed for many times. But back there, that night, come here, Lori. I'm going to pray for you. And he did. And when he did, the anointing of the Holy Ghost fell on her and brought healing and anointing that has changed since that moment forward. Why? Because it took somebody to say, devil, we're not afraid of you. And this one thing after another has got to stop by the power and the grace of God. And your future is not going to be a worrisome future like your past has been. You see, Satan cannot steal your faith without your permission. He can't steal what he didn't give you. You see, he may attack your body, may attack your brain. But listen, one day your body is going to give way to a glorified body. So he can't touch that. And God always restores us if we are faithful. And every time we are challenged, we can grow in the faith. Job received, I love it, twice than what he had from the very beginning. He had seven more sons. He had three more daughters, all because he said, hey, 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 hallelujah, though he slay me. Though he slay me, yet will I trust. As anybody out there that ought to have some shout in you, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. Amen? I'm suggesting you that you take what it is and you put it on there and say, God, you are not going to allow this to try to rain on my parade in the name of the Lord. Now it is done once and for all by the grace of God. Well, I did that and it didn't work. Hey, it's working. I said it's working. It's working because you can't see it. You think it's not working. My God is a 24-7. He doesn't sleep, hallelujah. He doesn't take a vacation. He doesn't take time off. He said, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up. I'm making intercession for you. I'm going before you. I'll be behind you. I'm on top of you. I am underneath you. You just lean on me. I am sovereign. I'm not intimidated by what you're facing. I'm not intimidated by the lie of the enemy. He has no power. I am the sovereign God. And when I speak, the universe has to move because I'm God. So he had three more daughters. Go ahead and stand to your feet. I'm wrapping up right here. How many believe that? Say amen. Sons were more important than daughters in the Bible. the sons. But it's amazing when he got seven more sons and three more daughters. He tells us about his daughters. 
Here's what he says about daughter number one. I think I'm going to name her Jemima. That's what he did. Now you're thinking pancakes. God's not thinking pancakes. God's thinking what Jemima means. Dove or peace. Jemima, when I look at you, I see the peace and the dove that represents the purity of a sovereign God. Daughter number two, your name is Keziah. Keziah, your name means cinnamon and sweetness added to the anointing oil. No longer the oil of bitterness. No matter the, no more, no longer the water of bitterness, but the oil is cinnamon and sweet now. That's what your name means. Daughter number three, your name is Karen Hoppock. I look at you with your dark eyes and beautiful. I look into your dark, dark eyes and I cannot see an ending. And it reminds me of God's grace. So here's what I know. Job said, though I have been to, may I say this, hell and back. What I see now is the dove of the Holy Spirit. What I see now is the anointing of the sweet oil of God's special touch. And what I see is the grace of God that is unending, that Satan can never take away from me. He mentions the three daughters, and he says to you, let the sweet anointing of the Holy Spirit fall on you, and let God give you grace, and let the peace of God that passes all understanding strengthen you and lift your hands up and say rejoice in what God is doing and what he shall do. Amen? Here we go. We're going to sing whatever it is they're getting ready to sing. And we're going to do this. If you need prayer and you say, you know what? I'm bringing my package. I'm bringing my luggage. I'm bringing my backpack. I'm bringing whatever it is that Satan has been pushing me around with. I'm just going to bring it down to the altar. And I'm going to claim it. The promise of God. In Jesus' name, you come as God speaks to your heart. Here we go, everybody.